0: Well, Good morning, I am Tom, I am one of the elders here, we have uh, Matt Brown is out um, either blessing some young men and encouraging them in the Lord or being terrorized by him, I don't know which, I'm sure we'll get that report when he returns. I can tell you one thing. I don't know that I could handle uh, being up till 4 a.m. and chasing kids around the room with toilet paper or whatever he's doing right now. Uh, But Lord bless him. So, y'all are stuck with me today. So, have you ever been given a job that you don't quite feel qualified for? Um, We're going to overlook the fact that I'm up here preaching right now, and I'll do a different example, but that one. Stared me in the face when I went to get up here, but uh, I'd actually uh, been offered a job in college. I was, uh, I think I was 20 or 21 at the time, and moved to a new college and had to get an apartment. And the guy running the apartment saw that I was a single guy and was like, well, what are you doing for work? Man, I don't know. And um, so he offered me an apartment maintenance job. He's like, have you ever worked maintenance or construction or done anything like that? I was like, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, we got lawns to mow and all that. like, oh, great, you know, I can handle that. And thinking, I've got myself a way to get through college, this is great, and all that. Well, that's cute when you're mowing lawns, but when you have to shift gears and fix plumbing, and you've never (laughs) plumbed before, that was educational. And so we had... uh, the houses that we worked on were from the 1800s up in Michigan, so like 1896, something like that. And I had the bathtub drain, or it was dripping, and I'm just thinking like, all right, this is cupcake, I got this, get in there, and I, I can't remember if it was like six at night or something, I started the project, and again, I'm violating all the rules, like you, you don't start the job when the plumbing store is closed, and yeah, so that, that was quite the process. It it was a uh, 20-minute job that then took six hours. And and midnight, I'm trying to figure out how to shut the water off because it's flowing and just won't stop. And so I have to call my boss and be like, hey, by the way. And so he's got to come out and we're soldering pipes and I'm twisting pipes and I'm breaking stuff down the line. So what was all in the bathtub, I'm now downstairs trying to shut water off to the house. And so I I created a a monumental disaster because I got in over my head and uh, was that one of those things. So what kind of struck me, uh, Matt did a wonderful job of going through Matthew 28 last week and walking through, um, but reading that passage and then reading Acts chapter 1, it, it's kind of that, that breaking point, Christ basically says the same thing and then leaves. And says, you know, in Matthew 16, what we did last week was, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain with Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age." And in Acts 1, basically, Christ says that, poof, gone. Go do what I've done. Teach them everything that I've taught you for three years. Bam, it's on you. And so I look at that, and like I said, the the disciples at that time, it was a very confusing kind of time because you figure they just had a three-year one with Christ. They were minding their own business, doing work and fishing jobs, doing what they're doing, called out by this teacher guy that's doing this strange stuff and followed him around for three years. They're meanwhile thinking, oh my goodness, this is the fulfilled Messiah. This this is the guy that we've been waiting for. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's us, promising us these positions of power, that we're going to have influence here. And it ends with Jesus crucified. And they 're running for their lives they 're hiding you know, trying to get away from things, and now they 're just happy to get plugged back into their old life and thinking like, "Wow, man, this glad we had a shot at this, but you know looks like this wasn 't meant to be, and now here they are, and what I loved about the section in Matthew here is the the human element that the gospel writer adds about the disciples, and it just makes it real this these kind of things are what resonates that this is a true account because it says they saw him and worshipped him, but some doubted. So you're coming back, like I said, you you gotta put yourself in the feet of the disciples, knowing like what they've just been through, and now Christ is asking them to go do it again. Only this time you're not gonna have Kung Fu Jesus there who could, you know, deflect any argument, who could manipulate the scene to get down to the truth and, and be able to work with these lawyers and you know this culture that was so against him you know he had the ability to do that and now it's on them and now they've got to figure it out and get started again so when we look at this and we're going a different direction here um, so bear with me but um, just setting the scene here we're all standing on a hillside Christ just disappeared and everybody's got to ask so now what so now what do we go do is what happened in post-resurrection and all this, do we actually believe that Christ rise, rose from the dead? Because we can just hang our hats on that one, because Paul said, uh, later on Corinthians, it's just, you know, it, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we are the most to be pitied. So it, it all hangs on that. And so they're processing through this time and trying to figure out, you know, what we go forth and do, because the teaching of Christ was awfully controversial, and you see what happened. They tried to kill Christ time and time again and finally got him crucified by the Roman government. It wasn't a cool time to, it wasn't like an Occupy Wall Street where, hey, man, this is trendy. I got nothing better to do on a Saturday. Let's go protest and all that. Not a cool thing in Rome. Like, for us, eh, maybe you get quarantined to a block or maybe you get taken to jail overnight or something like that if you get rowdy, but here you died. Like, you died for causing a riot, for, you know, running a counter-cultural, counter-governmental protest. You were killed. You were hunted out and killed because that's how the government kept power. So, Christ was not asking them to do an easy thing. And it it was something that takes a lot of assessment. It takes a lot of, if we're going to put everything on the table the way Christ has asked us to, we better believe this thing is real. We'd better count on this. So, If we ignore what Scripture then tells us, if we just kind of just take from history and look at that, we go, okay, well, what did the disciples believe, and did they act on this? And even if we don't use the Word of God to show that we did, we just see history, and 11 out of 12 of them died martyrs' deaths. And when I'm talking martyrs' deaths, I'm talking crucified, crucified upside down, beheaded, beaten, burned alive, executed, and... You figure, okay, the one guy got away. Well, actually, no, he didn't. He was boiled in oil, and that didn't kill him, so they figured they had to go send him to exile and, you know, with third-degree burns on his body, go send him to an abandoned island to live out the rest of his days. So not exactly a pleasant experience that they all had. So we look at that, and we go, they knew that Christ rise from the dead. They had to. There's different arguments that you can look at and different proofs that you can go through, but at the end of the day, um, it it is very difficult to get around one question. When you look at that and you look at the lives of the disciples, how they went from going from heading back to the boats, like, ah, that was a cool three years. Boy, we saw some cool stuff. Stories to tell the grandkids. Let's get back into real life. To, I'm going to throw all that back away. Not only we did it once, and it didn't pan out the way we thought it, but I'm going to do it again. And to overcome that, there has got to be some convincing proofs. Um, skeptics may say, well, you know, they're just trying to create a religious system and trying to get something started here. Well, let me ask you this. Would you willingly die for something you knew to be a lie? So they, if they were doing that, it had to be intentional because one of the things that people try to hang it on was well there's an empty tomb but the disciples must have stole the body and you know created this thing and would you do that would you knowingly not only die for it but live your life in kind of an exile all in you know get rid of all my stuff go preach a counterculture message and fight that fight and then die the kind of deaths we were talking about it's just like who would do that and so it, as history kind of speaks with that, that that's that been one of those questions that gets thrown out that really speaks volumes of the truth of the gospel account. And then when we roll into um, what the Bible has to say about it, I mean, we have uh, proof after proof after proof. It's all in here. I'm not going to camp out on this. I, I would love to teach a class on this someday. It is exceptional, um, just all the stuff that kind of happened post-resurrection, but You know, Jesus offered many evidences, uh, multiple personal appearances, multiple public appearances, physical evidence, came in with the scars and his hole in the side, walked through walls, had an empty tomb, angels delivering messages, uh, fulfilled prophecy, Peter's restoration, additional miracles, the ascension, giving of the Holy Spirit, allowing the disciples to have miracles. So you look at that and go, okay, these guys didn't just make a guess or just throw their life at something and... Mm, gee, hope this works out. There was just a load of proof and a load of evidence that then had them look back and go, this is the real deal. And this is worth my life. This is worth everything I have because eternity is this big and my life is this big. And I was going to do that. I was going to string a string across here and hang a little hair from it and be like, this is your life. This is the rest of, you know, where we're going. But what we've got here is now it's on us and we're here today 2,000 years later answering the same question. Is this real? Is this something that happened? Because if it is, it is in our face and we have a decision to make and as we move forward in our lives we have to decide are we going to pattern our lives after what Christ talked about or are we going to pattern our lives based on things of the world and the reasonableness of our culture and all those things. So we're going to have to make decisions about our time, about our relationships, and about our resources. As we go out this door, how are we going to live the rest of our lives and make decisions and deal with those things? So like I said, this is kind of taking a different route. With that background, we're headed towards, this is a uh, sermon on giving, a sermon on stewardship. And what we're looking at. Um, it's intentional that I'm the one giving this one, um, not because I'm anything good, but mainly because I am unpaid by the church. And <laughs> so if a guy is going in, we want to deflect any kind of weirdness or anything like that, that, uh, you know, there's always that thing in the back of your mind like, oh, okay, yeah, the pastor's got to go hammer this because well, he's worried about his paycheck this next year or, you know, his livelihood or something like that. So we just want to get that off the table. Like I said, Matt could do a better sermon of it, but I don't get a dime from this church. And it's the Word of God, and it's just the season with which we have to bring this. So um, where it fits in the series that we're doing is, like I said, Matt said, we left that message with go. Go therefore. And so now we're picking that up of going like, okay, what do we do? Like, what, what are we supposed to do? We, I've had a job. I've got family. I've got people I've got to take care of. And so how do I now manage these things and go forward? So as we look at, again, there's time, there's relationships. Those can be other sermons. Um, as we look at our stewardship and just our, our physical resources, what are we supposed to do with our resources? So our stuff, our things, our finances, what do we do with these things? What's the point? Ultimately, the point is to bring glory to God. So that's what's changed. As we come under the headship of Christ and the lordship of Christ, our stuff and our livelihood should be directed towards glory to God. We should be lifting him up with the decisions that we make and how we use our resources. In that. So how do we bring glory to God? Number one, like I said, it, it, I'm going to start with the easy stuff, by enjoying them. What? I thought you were going to make us give stuff and make me feel bad and twist my arm. Enjoy your stuff. It's okay. There's a balance here. There, there's a three-way pull that we're, we're going to see happen here, and number one is enjoy them. Uh, we went mattress shopping uh, a few weeks ago, and in the mattress stores, of course, they're doing anything they can to get you to buy a mattress, and I don't know how balloons help you buy mattresses, but the stores are just loaded with balloons, and of course, I've got a little one-year-old, and she's having fun on the mattresses, but it's, balloon, balloon, as she's pointing at the balloons, and wants to hit the balloon, and, and i like, okay, okay, and so we go through that, and so Valentine's comes around, and i a helium balloon and get for little Claire and and of course when she sees those it's balloon and and she's dragging around the house and bouncing around and you know it just kind of struck me it's just going here I am a foolish father I'm I'm nowhere near perfect but we know what we want to give to our children and you know God uses that and I think it's Matthew was um, you know what child is going to ask his father for bread and he gives him a stone you know, nobody's that dumb. Like, oh, I'm hungry, Dad. And need... here's a rock. You know, enjoy. It, you know, nobody's going to do that. So we look at that. I don't. I didn't give Claire that balloon to go lock it in the closet and keep it out of sight. I gave that to her for to enjoy. And so that's a component of that. Uh, the verse we have that goes with that is First Timothy six seventeen. As for the rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides everything to enjoy. So we've got a couple of things in there. You notice it's okay to be rich? That's weird, isn't it? You know, wasn't Christ hammering on that? He's like, yeah, it's tricky to, if if you're outside of the kingdom, it's tricky to come in if you're rich. But if you are, and you're Abraham, or you're whoever, and you have resources... That's not a negative thing. That's not, okay, I've got to purge everything and give it. No, we're assuming that there's some rich people, and we're also assuming and we're told that you've got things to enjoy. It's okay, like have fun with some of your stuff. So looking at kind of the second component that's going to pull some tension here um, is we're, we're called to enjoy them. We're also called to be a wise manager of our resources. And so what does that look like? Being a wise manager means you're going to have enough to take care of yourself, you're going to have enough to take care of your loved ones, your family, both for today and for the future, and you're watching over and managing your resources. Um, Proverbs 27 uh, tells us that pretty good, The, the rest of the verse keeps going to reiterate the point, but... Uh, first couple there, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds for riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. So we've got multiple accounts um, from the word to be wise managers of what we're doing. So as our resources come in, how do we partition this for longevity? How do we take care of our family? How do we pay our bills? Are we looking forward going, okay. I've got to set some back because guess what? Someday I'm going to be seventy, and you know, digging this hole, I I can't do that when I'm seventy. I've got to have something to live on, so I don't have to, you know, constantly feed on others and have others take care of me. I can set aside today and make sure that I'm taken care of. And that so we have to pay attention. We have to be diligent there. Um, and then the third point of attention that we're going to have that's pulling on us is giving, and. Giving to those in need, giving to the church, giving to ki- kingdom work, uh, that those things are always going to be pulling around uh, and that. So as we look at giving specifically, what does biblical giving look like? Uh, because we know, we see philanthropy happening all the time. I think there's Ben and Jerry's ice cream, like X percentage goes towards you know, schools or blah, 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 blah. Uh, Bill Gates has, you know, the Bill Gates Foundation that does this, that, and the other. And, you know, there's something, too. I think Bill Clinton had something. I don't think I'd trust that guy with a dime. But, um yeah, so he's got some things that he does. So what differentiates biblical giving from, like, secular giving and, and those kind of purposes? Um, obviously, it's it's addressed towards kingdom causes, towards you know, ultimately reaching people for Christ. Um, That involves the proclamation of the gospel. uh, That involves meeting just random needs. But the point is, it's not, here's money to meet your need, go and be blessed, or, hey, look at me, I've I've just done this great deed. It's, no, this is a gateway to now get the gospel message into you. Like, hey, I, I took care of your need, and I'm so glad that, I love you, brother, for doing that, but... Christ loved me, and that's why I'm doing this. That's the motivation behind this, and that's ultimately what's getting through. So, uh, a lot of giving in the secular manner is done for either tax write offs or you know to make myself feel good. That, wow, I, I'm giving, and, and there are some folks that give for good reasons and, and that, but it's not for gospel centered and gospel ended purposes. Which you know, at, at the end of the day, it's great that you're helping folks, and that's awesome, but if we're not helping them towards eternity, we're missing the point, and we're missing the ultimate point. We're just making people more comfortable on the road to hell, and God may be using their discomfort to get them to pay attention to the gospel. So um, that's our ultimate purpose that we're looking at it, and so what are the motivations and kind of the factor behind that, and what do we look for in biblical giving? um, As our church has. We've got uh, the three points that as a church we stand on. It's number one, biblical giving is done cheerfully. Uh, That is in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Um, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. So it is something that you predetermine, something that you think about, something that you pray about, and something that you can do cheerfully, and not a Okay, here's my hammer of obligation. I, I feel like I have to do this. God's told me this is necessary. It's remember what Christ has done for you, and you get to do this. God allows you to participate in this. You know, it's like having a child, and you give them money and, and give them something to do with it. It's just going, you're you're watching how they handle that, and you you look at them, maybe give towards a cause or do something, positive with it you know you're you're watching and being carefully overlooking we're doing this God's doing the same thing with us he's given us these resources and given us these things and is now watching us oversee that and so he wants us to have a cheerful heart with it it's not an obligation that's you know we can create laws and legalism all day long but it, it's something that's to be done cheerfully uh, second component is it's something to be done consistently first corinthians sixteen two on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come so that 's Paul talking to the Corinthian church about taking up an offering for uh, another body of believers that um, do so regularly, do so systematically um, again, everybody hates budgets in that, but set some aside that 's an intentional. Thing, why would that matter? Because we want to make sure that whoever's planning church resources has some sort of consistency that they can plan on. Because there's decisions that have to be made about hiring pastors, about paying rent, about okay, what outreaches can we do? We have to know okay, you know, one week's five hundred, one week's ten thousand, one week's you know seven hundred. But it's like, how do you plan with that? How can you possibly? But if there's a core base that, okay, in general, you know, it's going to waver a little bit, but in general, this amount comes in, so we can afford to do this, and afford to do this, and make these plans to continue to grow the church, and grow the body of believers there, Um, but also, it's a challenge to the people that are letting the money go, and it's a regular thing that some weeks, and some months, and I'm not saying give, you know, you have to set aside a weekly, you know, that, that, talk about that to the Lord, but um, but it's a constant reminder that we have to let it go. Every month, every week, whatever, whatever your decision is on that, you're having to let that money go that you look at and go, hey, some weeks are great weeks, and man, I got a lot of resources left, and oh yeah, this is easy. Other weeks, it's painful, and you're trusting in the Lord as each time that you let that go. Um, so, making sure it 's consistent uh, both for the health of the church and our own spiritual health uh, that 's an important thing there and then finally, the third one is that it 's sacrificial. Our giving should reflect our belief that eternity is the priority that uh, it 's something that again if if we 're giving and looking at that, and somebody looks at our checkbook and like an unbeliever. That so why in the world are you giving that kind of money to this church? Like what? What does church matter? Oh well, let me tell you what Christ did for me. And by the way, and so as we look at Second uh, uh, Corinthians eight and nine, says, "For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." So basically, it. It's another picture. It's kind of like baptism. The way baptism is a picture of what Christ has done for us, our giving in a sacrificial sense is what Christ has done for us and all that. So here's the fun question, and I, I, I hope I stress you out. So, okay. So we got down to it. Those are the components. This is what giving looks like. Hit me with it, buddy. What What do I do? How much? I've got three Pieces of the pie now I've got enjoy, I've got manage, and I've got give. How much do I put in each one? What do I do? All right, let's get into that thing. So let me ask, do uh, what Christ does and answer a uh, question with a question. So let me ask then, how much of what I own is God's? All of it. Psalm 89, if you want to just hang your head on something here. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. So, when we're looking at our resources and what we're doing, the question to really ask, not how much to give, is how much do I dare to keep to myself? God has given me this and is watching me oversee it, How much do I dare to hold back and keep for selfish purposes? So, okay, fine, Tom, you've got me. I feel guilty, and I want to let it all go. Let me give it back to God. Awesome, that is a noble idea. Who's going to take care of you? Who's going to pay your bills each month? Who's going to feed your family? Who's going to take care of you when you do this? And what's your motivation? 1 Corinthians 13.3 If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Okay, fine. So the Old Testament says the tithe is 10%, right? I'll just hang my hat on 10%. That gets me off the hook, right? well, If you like the Old Testament version, try 25%. You're running a, a theocracy at that point, which is a God-run government. So you have your giving plus essentially your taxes to run your fairs and your festivals and your civic functions there of society at that time. <sighs> okay. So do I give something? Is it before taxes? Is it after taxes? Is it before bills? What do I do? Does this stress you out? It does me. Drives me batty. So why in the world will I not give you an amount? Why will I not set the benchmark so I can watch your tithes come in, tell you, hey, brother, you're on pace. No, you're not. Come on, let me encourage you. Why won't I do that? Because I would instantaneously violate Scripture and create legalism if I did that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as soon as I set some kind of a bar, some kind of a standard that you need to meet, instantly I've created legalism. We're back in pharisaical walks of life, and we're off the mark. And so, we're left with how do we deal with that tension? How that constant writhing and what do we do? How do we handle our resources and all that? Guess what you got? You got a prayer life, you've got Holy Spirit to depend on, and you have God saying he was faithful to provide for your needs. He provides for you based on your management. He provides based on his grace that he pours in. Uh, and takes care of you for all the various aspects of your life and decision making, which means we have to be in touch with him quite frequently of okay, God, where am I at? How am I doing? do I need to tweak something? am I spending too much of myself? am I you know basically practicing asceticism, which is like self denial to the point of um, trying to achieve something like a works based righteousness thing of okay 've now cut my bills i 'm eating cream of wheat for you know six weeks, so I can give this to feel more righteous about myself. You know do I need to enjoy some more? Uh, where is that balance, and how do I set that amount and what we do? Well, basically pray about it, release it to God, and try something uh, and again it, it's as a church, we will always steward what comes in the door, and we 'll take care of that. I'll sound the alarm bells if we're like, um, guys, we're about to default. We need some help or something like that. We're we're going to just steward what comes in the door in that. So when we deliver a message like this, it's more for the fact that, A, it's in Scripture. We have to teach it. We need to teach it, and it is for your spiritual health. And so this is one of those areas that we don't address frequently because we swapped a new pastor bad time to do the giving message um, when we're in the midst of those kind of changes and all that. So it, it's something we have intentionally delayed a little bit, but it is important for all of our spiritual health that we do that. Um, and so as we go forward, just pray about something, um, and it probably requires that you open up your checkbook, you plan your expenses, look at things, and go, okay, is there something I need to cut back on? Is there something I need to redirect? Um, I know Bethany and I were looking at that a number of years ago and kind of looked at where we're at and just go, man, that's kind of sad, really, uh, with what we're able to give and, and that on a regular basis. And so we ended up refinancing our house, and instead of keeping those savings, just put that back into giving and Got us a chance to get somewhere, so it required a proactive effort of seeking that out. Now, again, that was what we were led to do and directed to do. I'm not saying you everybody's got to go, you know, sell the boat and refinance a house, but those are some of those things that, as we approach Christ, are we putting it all on the table? Are we saying, okay, God, my life, my time, my relationship, my resources are yours? I, I have been bought with a price. I follow Christ, you guide and direct in that process. And that may require some of those things. Now, you will also note that I drive a car, I have a job, I buy food, I eat out at restaurants. I'm I'm still participating in culture and life, even though it is all Christ's. Now, there may be a day that one of us, any one of us, could be called to drop it all, sell it all, and go somewhere. You know, that, that is always a possibility. And so that's the importance of why doing this on a regular basis, we have to continually offer this up in that to the Lord that what we do today may not be what we always do. Uh, because there may be a time that he does call us and we have to drop it all. I mean, again, Bethany and I were at a point in life where we thought we were coming to that point. We had our house was sold and everything was in storage, and we're sitting on the threshold, going, "Okay, God, go, let's go, let's go," and He never sent us, and we, we never got that confirmation. So, even though life was telling us, "Okay, you're going to go," it wasn't time, and He had other things for us to go do. And so, it, it's something where we always need to offer that up and start somewhere, and just something that's regular and consistent. And then constantly look at that and go, okay, can I do more? Should I do more? Is this the right season for this? Can I do my regular giving? Is there something additional and above that I can give towards, you know, either church work or something else outside of church? Um, you know, there there might be other ministries that, as you're giving to church, that you look at and go, man, I'd love to, you know, slip them something once a year. Awesome. You know, the gospel's getting out in that process. So... Um, And something else that we need to look at um, as we're doing our giving, this is always a vertical conviction. So you always look between you and God. You're letting God direct your resources. Never look laterally. Never look at others. You can take encouragement and ideas from others, but never base that your giving based on what somebody else is doing and what somebody else's conviction is. Again, there's examples, there's inspiration, there's ideas. That's not your basis. That's not why you give and why you're doing that. Mark Zuckerberg can walk in this church tomorrow, drop a million dollars in that offering basket, which is more money I'm going to make in my lifetime, and he can put it in one, and that's less than 1% of what that guy makes. Not sacrificial, wouldn't miss it. More money than I can make in a lifetime. Like, come on. And... Here it is. So if I'm comparing laterally that way to Mark Zuckerberg, then good heavens I'm a failure. But as Christ noted as they're sitting there watching people plunk it in the temple treasury, and the lady that drops two pennies in is like this this lady's given more, you know, than all these rich guys that have piled it in. So again, it matters of the heart. It's something that you need to focus on. Uh, the relationship with you and the Lord and your motives, your intentions, and just giving it back to God. You're, you're not paying penance. You're not uh, you know, paying an obligation. This is something that God has called you to stewardship over. So what are we accomplishing by our giving? Number one, uh, the obvious stuff is the church is paying bills. You know, we've got a pastor that, believe it or not, despite Matt's charming personality, wonderful gospel presentation and education, he is not able to pray and pay his bills. He can't just pick it from the money. God doesn't give pastors money trees that just supplies enough money to... He actually has bills that come in that have to be paid in a sensible manner. We have to budget for that. So there are real expenses in that as a church. There's building rents. There's maintenance. All that stuff that we do have to plan for. And the church is a vehicle for two things. It's a vehicle for reaching the lost, and that's what we're hoping with the revival and Easter, that we're going to bring more people in to hear this message, and you know, hopefully that they're going to absorb the gospel, and, and we're going to continue to do that as long as God gives us breath. But it's also meant for the encouragement of the saints and a gathering place for us to all come together and grow. Um, I can't tell you how much in the last five years that because of y'all, how much i've grown and i look back and i look back in the lives of a lot of you that i know and just go you're not the people you were you know five years ago when i first met you like there's so much growth and i have watched god you know develop and and change and it's a, a slow process in that but over time you look back and just go we're not the people we started with and it's amazing so we're feeding that we're helping that to happen um, we're supplying the needs of others um, fulfilling that call of, you know, I was in prison, I was naked, I was hungry, you, you fed me, you clothed me. Well, when did I do that? When you did this to the least of these. And that we're we're following that uh, commitment of that of what God has asked us to do and we're exercising faith by trusting God in how our resources are developed and how they're distributed out there. And ultimately, uh Matthew 6, just beautiful passage. I won't read it, but uh, we're laying up treasures in heaven, and that's the point. So like I said, if I strung a string between here and there and a hair was hanging in the middle, that's your life. What are we going to invest in? Do we care about the hair in the middle if the, the big long string is reality and that, that's where we're going? We're going to eternity. That's what we're going to focus on and care about? No, I mean, that would be like spending all your money in high school for your retirement. So it's like, yeah, I need that Porsche because I could be cool in high school. Well, guess what? 18's coming and you are done. Like, what does it matter? And you got the rest of your life to live and a real cool Porsche to live it in. You know, it's, no, it doesn't matter. In that we, we're laying up treasures in heaven and eternal rewards and things that matter in people's lives. So as we deal with these confronting truths of scripture, um, like I said, th- this isn't like my favorite message to preach. It, it's uh, There's many approaches that you can take to giving and, you know, guilt, all kinds of stuff. There's, you know, lying about it. There's deception. There's, you know, just trying ways to manipulate the system to do that. Um, and it's always awkward doing a giving message because those methods have been done. So, so, so many times you turn on the TV, you see that so frequently of just either untruths or manipulations or something to try to get cash flowing uh, in that. So the way we want to approach it is say, it's in scripture. We have to go through it. We have to deal with it. It may be slightly uncomfortable, but here it is. And so we want to make sure that we put this in front of y'all and give you a chance now to go home. And deal with it and walk through that. So, as you're looking at the kind of the, the starting place, is always, is this real? You're standing on the hillside, Christ just disappeared. Is this real? Did this really happen? Is Christ raised from the dead? If he is, everything changes. Your whole approach to what matters in life, your whole approach to why you would do things, it all changes. And again, it's not about you know just giving stuff and and what to do with money but you know this is eternity because if christ rose from the dead that's true which also means i'm a sinner and i've got problems and i need a savior and so if you're in that spot today where you haven't thought about that where man christ is real and i've got a sin problem i have got to deal with this christ is the answer Of course, we'd love to talk to you about that, but his suffering on the cross was sufficient uh, to solve the eternal problem. The giving problem the resources is just all what we're doing while we're waiting to go home and figuring out how we manage things while we're waiting to get there. Uh, If you don't have eternity resolved, that needs to go first. Anything done before that, again, we're back into trying to earn what Christ has done for us and we just can't do it. And we need to come to that moment of knowing that we need Christ uh, for everything that we are. And so as we give in a premeditated, intentional, cheerful, sacrificial, and regular manner, we are demonstrating to the world that we believe the gospel is true. We're showing that in what we do um, and how we manage our resources. So um, as part of the go that we learned about last week of go forth, Um, obviously a part of that is present the gospel to the world that you're in and the world where you've been sent, Um, but also that definitely has meaning um, in how you manage your resources and how you handle that. So reading 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 6, and 7 to close, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Stew on that passage this week, um, and again, it was very intentional that we did the offering on the front side uh, because, again, we don't want to come here at this point and then be like, ha-ha, guilt trap, and come get the baskets, gotcha, you know we 're avoiding that we we again we want this to be an intentional process that you go home this week i 'm um, not watching any of you i 'm not paying attention oddly enough um, God is, and I trust him to oversee what you 're doing you 're accountable to him i 'm accountable to what happens with the stuff once it comes in the door. Uh, we have to watch that and manage that properly god 's watching us doing that he 's watching you with what you put in there and and again we're we're totally open if forming a budget and working around that stuff is Greek to you there's plenty of resources to help the deacons are fantastic with that um i'd love to sit down I've, i've got a budget mind that that's why this stuff drives me nuts is i'd rather plan it and just say okay give me the percentage give me the box put it in i'll fill it drives me nuts but you know it is what it is so those helps are available um Certainly, if you need to go through any kind of budgetary stuff, we're we're more than happy to do that. But the point is just pray about it, soak in the scriptures, um, meditate on this, and just continually offer what you have up to God. And you'll notice that when you do that, it also spills into your relationships. It spills into how you spend your time. And you get in the habit and practice of giving that back to the Lord and you find that that's where the joy is. You know, as a believer, when you're releasing those things to God, your relationships, your time, and your resources, you find out you get the satisfaction that you're trying to achieve on your own by grabbing for it, God gives it to you because you let it go. And so, like I said, take some time this week, and we'll stew in that, but uh, let's pray, and uh, we're going to have another song here to close us out. Dear God, uh, we thank you so much for... Your word and the challenges that it offers us, that uh, you would care about the minutia of our lives, that you save us, you call us to yourself, that you would uh, redeem us by the blood of the cross. God, the uh, sacrifice that the disciples thought may have been in vain, that was the ending of a movement, was the victory, God, that you had uh, come here to achieve, and you raised from the dead God, to conquer our sin and to give us life. God, may we freely accept that uh, gift, God, and then let that pour into us um, and then pour out of us as we approach our time, our family, our relationships, um, and our resources, God, that you would uh, help that to be soaked in your word and... God, soaked in your purposes, and may we release those things. Um, God, we're we're no more. We're so unlike the world when we let those things go. Um, the culture that was around us has taught us to grab hold and take what is rightfully ours, even though it's not. Uh, God, so when we let it go and we let you work, um, you bring us satisfaction. You bring us contentment. Um. God, that everybody's striving so hard to achieve um, based on gaining and based on things. And I I just pray that you would uh, help us as a church to let those go, help us all to manage resources well uh, as individuals, but uh, also as a church that you would uh, always guide and direct us um, to use those things in manners that make the most impact for the gospel while we're here uh, because that's what's going to matter. It doesn't matter... That our roof may fall in or our, our building may not be the prettiest thing ever, but uh, what matters is the lives that are reached and the gospel that's presented. And may we always see that perspective. In the name of Christ, Supreme. Amen.